Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today, we're starting our group learning program. This is the official restart of our six-month program where we're inviting students from all over the world to join us in learning the teachings of Gautama Buddha and practicing those in your own life so that you can experience results of awakening the mind to the enlightened mental state. So I would like to welcome you wherever you are in your learning here, either in Facebook or YouTube or our Zoom interactive classroom, perhaps on our podcast, wherever you're taking in this content across the world, I would just like to welcome you to our group learning program as we've got an amazing opportunity here to really learn and progress in understanding the teachings of Gautama Buddha who lived over 2,500 years ago and taught us teachings, shared teachings that will help us to awaken the mind to an enlightened mental state. So we have many things to discuss today and I would just like to kind of start off with just sharing just a little bit of what is enlightenment. Enlightenment is a mind that is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently Once the mind has been trained towards enlightenment and actually attains it, the mind will never again experience discontent feelings such as sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, boredom, shyness. Any of these discontent feelings will be completely eliminated from the mind. So therefore, the mind will be completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, and therefore the life, your actual life, will be completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because everything in life is experienced through the mind. So you will experience this enlightened mental state the more and more you learn and practice these teachings in order to get to the point of enlightenment. What's also important for you to understand as you embark on this journey or you take these next steps in your journey, if you've been previously learning about Gautama Buddha's teachings, is what's important for you to learn is Gautama Buddha's teachings, the Buddha's teachings, are not based on belief. Many traditions in the world today are belief-based and a lot of what all of us perhaps grew up with is based on belief where you essentially believe, 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 and then when you die, hopefully you got everything correct and you either go to a good place or a bad place. Well, this isn't how Gautama Buddha's teachings work at all. 
It's not based on belief. So it's really important that you don't believe anything that I share with you in this program or anywhere else that you might see that I'm sharing content. What's important is that you learn the teachings with guidance and then you apply them in daily life so that you can see whether they're actually truth or not. Through you observing whether the teachings that you're learning is actually true, then when you observe for yourself that the teachings that are being shared are true and real, then you have wisdom. You will have more wisdom. And this wisdom will then help the mind function in a newfound way, a more enlightened way. Because as you gain this wisdom, the mind will slowly, gradually move towards the enlightened mental state. But if you just believe what I'm sharing with you in this course or in this program, then you're never going to be able to acquire wisdom because you don't know whether it's true or not. You just believe it. So there's never a time where Gautama Buddha or myself will ever say to you, just believe me. That's not how these teachings work to awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state. What we're doing through this teachings and through this program is you're learning teachings to actually practice, which then trains the mind to acquire this wisdom. And it's through this newfound wisdom that the mind will start functioning in the world very differently than it did previous to learning and practicing these teachings. And there really is no other way that I'm aware of in order to awaken the mind because belief is not going to awaken the mind. People can believe anything they'd like. They can believe the sky is green or they can believe that the sky is purple, but it's all about the truth. What is the truth? In fact, many people who are on this path, they call themselves truth seekers right? They're seeking the truth, or they might call themselves seekers. Some people call themselves a practitioner. There aren't any followers, right? In this practice, there aren't any devotees. Okay. In order for you to learn and practice these teachings, to awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state, you need to be a practitioner where you're learning with guidance with a teacher but then you're applying the teachings in practice so that you can discover the truth. So in a lot of respects, this practice of learning and acquiring this wisdom through applying the teachings in practice, it's an independent journey, right? It's an independent pursuit. You have a teacher who's helping you and guiding you, but it's your decisions, it's your actions, it's you choosing to learn through these classes, it's you choosing to read a book, it's you choosing to watch videos or listen to a podcast or take a quiz or listen to an audiobook or actually do meditation each day. It's your personal choices that is going to lead you further and further on this path to make more and more progress. A teacher can provide support, we can provide encouragement, we can provide the teachings to help you learn how to progress on this path, but it's your individual decisions that is going to determine how much or how little progress you make on this path. 
And of course, it's understandable as a household practitioner that there's lots of things in life that we do on a daily basis. So one of the tips that I can suggest to you in terms of starting off in this group learning program is to set aside some time throughout your week where you're actually diving into the teachings and studying them. Whether it's a few hours over a couple of days or whether it's a half a day on a given day of the week, however you can find time in your week, you're gonna need to devote some time to actually learning the content from this program and then throughout your day, applying the teachings in daily life. But you're definitely going to need some time to take in the teachings through these online classes, through the books, through other things that I'm gonna be sharing with you, other resources that you have available to you. You will then need to take in the teachings, think about them, reflect on them, and then apply them in practice so that you can see that they're actually truth. Again, I'll come back to this at multiple times throughout the program, but just do not believe anything that I say. Apply the teachings, learn them, and then apply them in practice so that you can see that the teachings are indeed truth so that then you have wisdom. And in this way, you will be a practitioner who is learning the teachings and applying them in practice, seeking the truth, okay? There's quite a bit of details that I have to share with you about what the group learning program is and how you could potentially progress through this program and what is available to you. So let's go ahead and get into that now so that you can understand more of what's involved in the group learning program. The group learning program is comprised of live interactive online classes. You can learn in those classes through Zoom, Facebook, or YouTube. With Zoom, there's an interactive classroom where I can see you and you can see me. You can electronically raise your hand. You can ask questions either through typing into the comment section or raising your hand and asking verbally. So the interactive classroom provides a great opportunity for you to learn through the interactive online classes. But if for some reason you're not able to use Zoom or you prefer not to use Zoom, you can actually take in this content through the live stream that is going out to our Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. And that same live stream is also going to YouTube, which is the same name, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. So on Sunday and Wednesday at nine o'clock Thai time, I will be teaching these online classes and you're welcome to attend and you're welcome to bring friends or family if you like. As we progress over the six months, I'm sure you're not gonna be able to meet every single session. You're not gonna be able to actually come to every single class. So the beauty in that is that these classes are captured in the Facebook group, in YouTube, and also on our podcast. So you'll be able to actually learn even if you weren't able to come to class, you'll still be able to participate in the actual class through learning the content offline when it's not actually live. On Sundays, which today is Sunday, we do the chapter discussion where we take a chapter per week of this book, Developing a Life Practice 
the path that leads to Nibbana. And this week we're starting off with chapter one. You can download this book for free and read it on your electronic devices if that works for you. It's also available in print copy through Amazon.com and some other resellers who do printing of books. Or you can download the PDF and go print it yourself if you like. I think you'll find that by purchasing it on Amazon, it's actually less expensive than printing it yourself. But you're welcome to download the PDF and go print it yourself if you like. So each Sunday, we're actually covering a chapter in this book. So you're welcome to read either before class or after class, or some people might want to read before and after class to really ensure the material soaks in. So on Sundays, we'll be taking one chapter a week and exploring that in this actual book. And we're going to be progressing from chapter one all the way through to chapter 24. And then there's some additional content at the end, which will take us about six months to actually go through the entire book. Then on Wednesday at nine o'clock Thai time, we set aside time for you to learn meditation. We actually do meditation together as a group. We focus on breathing, mindfulness meditation, and loving kindness meditation, which are the two types of meditation that Gautama Buddha taught as a way to lead towards enlightenment. And then we also teach Buddhist chanting or Pali chanting as part of our Wednesday sessions as well. So those Wednesday sessions will actually rotate. So the first Wednesday, which will be in another three days, will be breathing mindfulness meditation. The Wednesday after that will be loving kindness meditation. The Wednesday after that will be the Buddhist chanting as well. So we will actually rotate these Wednesdays so that over the course of the entire six months, every Sunday you'll be learning through the discussions that we have of each individual chapter. But then each Wednesday you'll get an opportunity to establish, develop, and deepen your breathing mindfulness meditation, your loving kindness meditation, and chanting if you choose to learn chanting. So this is how we will progress in terms of the interactive classes. Then in the Facebook group, Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, I will be making daily posts, which is essentially the same chapter that we're covering from Sunday starting Sunday all the way to Saturday, I will be making daily posts with excerpts of the actual chapter. So there'll be one of seven, two of seven, three of seven, four of seven, all the way up to seven of seven, where each day I'll be posting a certain portion of the actual book. And this is for you to be able to ask questions online through the Facebook group if you like. You can actually ask questions right there because you'll be in the online interactive classes where you can ask questions there. But perhaps throughout your week, you might have a certain question that pops into the mind. And rather than wait for the next class, you can actually post it into the Facebook group through an actual post. And I will answer your question there. Or when I post the various sections of the book, you can actually ask your question there in the comment section on that particular material. So you'll see the Facebook group is going to have these daily posts of content from the actual book. Then there's additional resources. 
there's a video library in YouTube where there's about 12 different videos that I did last year on kind of the main 10 or 12 different topics that are covered in the book. But then there's a good 50 or 60 other videos that we've done over the last six months where the group learning program that's been going on for the last six months and we were doing our live streams will actually get saved into YouTube in the video library. So there's already a talk about chapter one in the YouTube library from six months ago. So if you participate in this class and you learn a lot here, you can actually go back to six months ago and learn what we covered in that class too, because I guarantee you it's going to be different. So you're welcome to look at the videos in our YouTube library from the previous group learning program or from the standard videos that I've put there. And then there's also a podcast, which is also called Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, where all the live classes that we did over the last six months, I captured those in audio format and then I edited the audio just to make sure it's nice and clean and crisp. And then I published that in a podcast. So if you're exercising or you're riding in the car or you're just going on a walk some evening or during the day, you can actually be listening to the podcast if you like from our previous talks six months ago. And even this talk today that I'm doing, I will actually end up editing and publishing in our podcast site. So whether you get your podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google or any of the other podcast sites around the world, you will actually find our podcast there where you can actually learn this content through our audio and the podcast. In another couple of weeks, this book, Developing a Life Practice, will be available in audiobook format. And the students who have been participating in our group learning program over the last six months have sponsored me to be able to go to a studio here in Chiang Mai, Thailand and actually record this in audiobook format. So at least for two months or so, I've been showing up to a studio here and working very diligently both at the studio and here at home to review the recordings that here in another two weeks we'll actually have the finished audiobook where if you prefer to listen to this in audiobook format, you can listen to it in audiobook. One of the things that some people like to do is actually listen to the audiobook and read it at the same time. So then you're doubling up on your learning because people typically will learn by seeing things they will learn by hearing, and they will learn by doing certain things. So what we're doing in this program is we're incorporating all methods of learning where you can see, you can hear, and you can experience as well. And then another thing that we have available for this program is we have quizzes. Pretty much for each individual chapter, there's actual quizzes that you can take towards the end of the week can then confirm that you've learned what it is you need to learn as we move off to the next chapter. And there's no limit to the number of times you can take these quizzes. You can take them as many times as you like. You can take them before and after you start studying if you like. But these quizzes are there to help you confirm your learning and confirm your understanding and helps you to build a bit of confidence that you've actually learned something throughout the week. So each one of these chapters will typically have a quiz associated with them. 
the way that you find the quiz is two different ways is one at the end of each chapter in the book there's a big box that says learning resources for further learning or, or deepening your learning in the box at the end of each chapter you will see the link for the videos in our youtube channel that associate with that chapter you will see the links for the podcast that associate with that chapter and you will see the quiz link there that you will actually be able to then take the quiz the other place that you will see the quiz is in the facebook group daily wisdom walking the path with the buddha if you click on the units menu in the units menu there's an independent study program that's self-paced and each one of those units which correlate to each one of these chapters have the quiz linked there so if you are just starting off in this program the first time or you were studying in this program previously but you just didn't take advantage of the quizzes now you know that they're available for you and you can use them to build your confidence because one of the things that you need is you need some confidence in order to confirm that you've actually learned what it is that you needed to learn and if there's areas where you realize that you maybe missed a question or you didn't understand it that's where you can engage with me as your teacher to get ongoing support i don't actually look at the scores of these quizzes it will actually email you and tell you what your score is but you'll never hear from me about whether you actually scored a high score or a low score or anything like that it's all based on your own independent progress and your own independent learning so these quizzes are there for you to take advantage of if you choose to do so so these are some additional resources in addition to the classes you've got the facebook group you've got the youtube channel you've got the podcast you've got the audiobook and you've got the quizzes to really help with your learning and then the other thing that you have is you have ongoing support from me as your teacher where you can ask questions during class either online or if you end up taking in-person classes with me here in chiang mai or somewhere else in the world you can ask questions you know live you know with me as your teacher you can ask questions inside the facebook group you can contact me through private chat and ask questions there you can even schedule a personal discussion using the link that i'm showing you here which is calendarly.com forward slash david dash roylance if you go to this website it will give you times that are on my schedule and it will adjust for your time zone and when you schedule it it'll actually send me an email and it'll put it right on my personal calendar so that i see it on my computer or on my phone that i actually have an appointment with a student and i do you know a handful of those a week and there's no limit to the number that you can do so you can meet with me every week or every two weeks or every three weeks or whenever you feel like you need some guidance and you need some help you can schedule an appointment and of course none of this stuff costs any money whatsoever there's no payment that i'll never ever ask you for so you can participate in all these methods and all these ways of learning and all of it's based on your own independent pursuit there's never a time where i'm going to take attendance or check off things that you have or you haven't done i'm making all these resources available to you at no cost 
and it's up to you to choose you know what are you going to participate in and it's based on your own life maybe at this point in your life all you can do is show up for the online classes on sunday and that's it okay that's great that's a great place to start maybe you can show up for sunday and wednesday and that's all you can do and okay that's great maybe you can show up on sunday wednesday and you can read in the book as well wonderful maybe you can add to that listening to the audiobook or the podcast or some youtube videos or a quiz or meeting with your teacher once in a while and of course meditating throughout the week now the more of these things that you're able to participate in it's just more opportunity for the mind to soak in these teachings gain the wisdom that you need to then move towards enlightenment and train the mind to move in this direction but it's all based on your own individual journey, your own individual pursuit. There's never a time where I'm going to impress upon you or pressure you to do any number of these things at all. I'm actually just pleased that you've shown up for today's class and that you have the intention to now practice and learn going into the future. So there's no expectations from me as your teacher whatsoever. If you show up to class and you like to learn, wonderful. If something comes up in your life and you're not able to show up, then you've got the recordings that you can participate in and, and learn from later. So I'm here to support you without any expectations whatsoever. I'm just making myself and all of these resources available and how much you choose to dive in and actually get into these teachings is totally up to you. What I can share with you is the more that you dive into these teachings, the more that you apply them in your daily life, the more you're going to see results. Okay? So this is, you know, what the actual program is. Now let's go to why. You know, why should we actually participate in this program? Why is it important to actually attain enlightenment? Well, the Buddhist teachings, as I mentioned to you, are not based on belief at all. The beauty in his teachings is the more that you learn them, the more you apply them in life to actually train the mind. You don't have to wait until you die to see the results of these teachings. You can actually see the results now. As the mind becomes more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, you are essentially eliminating discontentedness of mind. You're eliminating these discontent feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, worry. All of these discontent feelings will actually slowly start to be eliminated from the mind. And you will actually see the results of that now during your actual life. So you don't need to wait until you die to determine if you're learning the truth or if you're on the right path to actually improve the condition of the mind because you're going to see it right now, right? The way that these teachings work is you don't just believe, 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 and then there's a big judgment when you die of whether you go to a good or a bad place. You can actually learn the teachings gain this wisdom through practicing the teachings and see the condition of the mind improve right now in this life. And that's the real beauty in Gautama Buddha's teachings is they're not based on any belief whatsoever. 
And because you're training the mind to this enlightened mental state where you eliminate these discontent feelings, attaining this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, not only is the mind in this mental state permanently, but also you experience a more peaceful life. So if your life is pretty hectic right now with a lot of things going on and you're kind of unsure, you know, why things are going on in the world, you know, this pandemic, hostility, aggression, why do people talk unkind? Why do things happen in your life the way that they do? And you're having trouble understanding what this life is about and what's going on and why all these things are happening in the world. Well, Gautama Buddha's teachings will help you to uncover and understand what's actually happening around you in your life so that you can actually improve not only the quality of your mind, but also the quality of your life. So your life will improve as you improve through the training of the mind. Your professional and your personal relationships will also improve as well. Because as you're learning these teachings and you're improving the quality of the mind through this training of the mind, you will notice that you will deepen your personal relationships and your professional relationships as well. So you're going to see benefits in all your relationships, whether it's mom and dad or boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, life partners, children, neighbors, your colleagues at work, wherever you might work, you will notice that you will slowly, gradually start to be able to develop and deepen relationships much easier than you have in the past through awakening the mind to this enlightened mental state. So you will see the truth for yourself, not only with the condition of the mind improving, not only your life improving, but you'll see these relationships improving as well. And you will even start to see a gradual improvement in your concentration, in your memory, in your clarity of mind. This is one of the ways that you will know that this path is actually improving the condition of the mind because you'll see that you'll be able to be much more concentrated. You'll have better memory and clarity of mind, clarity of thought. Okay. And then lastly, as you learn about the cycle of rebirth and you start to understand more and more that that is the truth, that we don't just get one life, that we've actually already had many, many lives that you may not remember at this time, but there's this cycle of rebirth that we keep being reborn back into the world and we keep experiencing all this discontentedness. We keep experiencing the misery of sickness, aging, and death. Not only our own death, but the death of loved ones around us. We keep experiencing this discontent feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment. We keep experiencing this in life over and over and over again through this cycle of rebirth. And it's not until we figure it all out and attain enlightenment that we will actually escape this cycle of rebirth. And again, you moving towards enlightenment is something that you will be able to observe and see for yourself. So as the mind becomes more and more enlightened, you will know that you're on the right path because that anger or hostility that you have in the mind will slowly go down to a frustration, irritation, annoyance, 
and eventually certain things around you that once would make you very angry, now the anger doesn't even arise anymore. So you will see the truth of the mind improving just as I'm sharing with you. And therefore, as the mind becomes enlightened, you will know I no longer need to experience this because now for the rest of this life, my mind is going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. I can actually enjoy this life because I understand it now. And you will know that once you die, that you're not going to be coming back into the world in any type of form or any type of formless realm. Therefore, you're just done and you can finally rest and lay down this body. So this is some of the why. We're going to get into this deeper next week on Sunday and we're going to get into it deeper the following week when we actually explore more about what enlightenment is in much more detail. But this is just kind of a little bit of a summary to kind of encapsulate why would anybody be interested to pursue enlightenment? Well, if you don't like sadness and you don't like anger, you don't like being frustrated, you don't like feeling guilty and shameful and fears, you don't like boredom, you don't like shyness, you don't like loneliness, you don't like jealousy and resentment. If you don't like any of these discontent feelings, then the path to enlightenment is exactly what you need to eliminate them. So by learning and practicing this path, you will actually eliminate these from the mind as the mind becomes more and more enlightened. Now let's talk about kind of how we're going to actually do this as we progress in this actual program. And I've kind of touched on some of these already. Essentially, Every week, we're going to be covering a chapter. Today is chapter one. On Sunday, we start with a new chapter. So next Sunday is going to be chapter two. The following Sunday will be chapter three and so on. So every single week, we'll be exploring a different chapter, both in the Facebook group, in the online talks that I do on Sunday, on Wednesday, even though we're covering meditation and we do meditation together, I will typically bring in some of the week's teachings into that Wednesday talk so that you will be able to further allow the teachings to sink in. So in these interactive online classes, whether you're taking them in through Zoom, live streaming on Facebook or YouTube, Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time, we will be exploring one chapter a week. And again, if you miss then I would suggest you either take in the YouTube video or you'll see it in Facebook as well or in the podcast. It'll be there for you and recorded so you'll be able to take it in from there. Then keep in mind that, as I've mentioned, this is an independent study program, truly. Even though we call it a group learning program, it really is an independent journey, right? Because you're independently deciding are you going to read the book? Are you going to listen to the audiobook? Are you going to watch videos? Are you going to listen to the podcast? Are you going to take the quizzes? Are you going to ask questions in class? Are you going to follow up with your teacher privately and ask questions? These are all independent decisions that you're going to actually need to make as part of your journey. And it is your journey. We tend to think that we're here in the world with all these other people, but in reality, we're pretty much here alone. 
okay? We're here alone and we have to make independent decisions of whether we're going to continue to walk towards the darkness and continue to experience this sadness and anger, frustration, or are we going to walk towards this enlightened mental state, this light, and improve the quality of the mind and improve the quality of our life? So these are all independent decisions that you need to make. So in learning these teachings, the way that we're used to in our culture is a teacher is going to come into the classroom, it's going to share a bunch of teachings, maybe we call it a lecture or a class period or a class session or what have you, and that information is broadcast and the students just learn and then they pretty much go home. Well, these teachings don't work that way, and I've never envisioned teaching as a lecture. The way that I see these is these are interactive discussions where I'm sharing certain content based on the book and based on the Buddhist teachings, but it's up to you to learn and ask questions. So you need to think about what's being shared. And if you've read before class or you've listened to some of the other materials, then you're going to have some prior understanding. So you may have some questions that you've reflected on and you bring into class, but you've got to dive into the material. This isn't a situation where you just come and you listen to me talk every Sunday and Wednesday and your life's going to get better. That's not going to work yes, listening to me share teachings with you, but really diving in and asking questions and seeking guidance and asking for clarification and all the different ways that I mentioned, ensuring that you're truly understanding the teachings and soaking them into the mind so that then you can actually practice the teachings in daily life. This is how you're going to train the mind to gain wisdom and improve the condition of the mind. The way that you can ask questions in these live sessions is we have a moderator named Max, who you're going to hear from in a little bit, where you can actually type into Facebook or YouTube and you can put your question there or you can even type into the Zoom comment section and Max will ask your question for you. If you would like to either ask a question or a follow-up question, you can do it that way. If you're in the Zoom classroom, you have the added functionality where you can electronically raise your hand by going down to the participant window. You can actually click on that and electronically raise your hand and then Max will open you up at the next question period and you can actually ask your question live and we'll hear your voice and we'll be able to answer your question or your follow-up question. So in these live sessions, it's a very interactive discussion where as I teach, I will pause every so often and see what questions we have in the audience and ensure that I'm sharing answers to your questions so that you can progress in your understanding of these teachings and progress in your practice so that you can continue to walk the path with the Buddha on this path to enlightenment. Now, as you're learning and you're progressing in your learning, as we've discussed a little bit, there is no belief. You need to independently verify the truth as you practice the teachings. So later when we get into things like the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path or the Five Precepts and all of these things, 
it's important that you look at these teachings, but then you implement them in your life and actually practice them. And when you practice them, then you can see the truth. I will help you on this more when we get to chapter four, which is the Four Noble Truths. That's the first place where we really start laying down some of the teachings. And it's an important time where you can start understanding how to actually independently verify the truth for yourself rather than just believing what I say. Because you shouldn't believe me and you shouldn't believe the Buddha, but instead practice so that you can independently verify the truth and gain wisdom. It is through you not believing, through reflecting on the teachings and kind of putting them into practice that you will then be able to see the truth and train the mind with this wisdom to get closer and closer to enlightenment. And as you progress throughout the program, if you aren't already meditating, it's important that you establish a daily meditation practice. We'll start with that on Wednesday in this program, but there's been plenty of podcasts and videos that I've created already to help you understand how to actually meditate in the way that the Buddha taught. Because you couldn't meditate your way to enlightenment. If you were only doing meditation and that's all you've been kind of doing so far is just meditating, you're not going to get enlightened with just meditation. You need to learn the teachings and apply them in daily life in order to go along with meditation to actually attain enlightenment. So just like you can't meditate your way to enlightenment, you wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without meditation. So you need to learn the teachings and apply them, which is applying them in daily life, but also in meditation. Meditation is kind of the foundation that we use in order to train the mind throughout our day, whether it's in the morning or middle of the day or in the evening. We need to have dedicated, active, independent training sessions where we're training the mind to either eliminate certain qualities of the mind or cultivate certain qualities in the mind. And when we get to Wednesday, I will dive into meditation more and really make sure I'm helping you to develop this practice. We're going to be learning breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. Those are the two types of meditation that the Buddha taught. There's some other forms that are kind of specialized meditation that I will share with you if you ever need those. But these two types of meditation are the only two that every single person needs in order to attain enlightenment. There's hundreds and thousands of meditations that have been created since Gautama Buddha's lifetime. But those are all adaptations that people have made over the years. If you really want to understand how to awaken the mind, and how to attain this enlightened mental state, do it through Gautama Buddha's teachings. They fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. He's the one who figured this out by himself, and it's his teachings that are going to take the mind from this unenlightened state to this enlightened state. So rather than spending time learning 10, 20, 50 different meditations, you can boil it down to these two styles of meditation really get good at those, develop those really, really well, ensure you're getting lots of results with those while also learning the actual teachings themselves and applying them in daily life. You're gonna have your hands full enough 
just doing those things. So just by focusing on these two meditations, it saves you a lot of time that you don't need to focus on 10, 20, 50 different meditations. You can just really focus on these two, get really, really good at them, and deepen your practice so you get lots and lots of benefit out of the meditations that you're going to be doing each individual day. So if you're currently meditating, just continue to do that until you start learning the type that Gautama Buddha taught. But what I would really like for you to consider doing is really setting aside everything that you've learned previously from other teachers, whether they were meditation teachers or other traditions that you might have learned. If you can set that stuff aside for the next six months and do what I'm sharing with you from Gautama Buddha's teachings, the beauty in this is that you will be able to see the improvements to the mind that are happening through these teachings. So let me give you an example. If there's certain mantras that you've been taught where you just chant these mantras all the time, or there's certain bells that you ring, or certain mala beads that you use, or you play music, or you do guided meditations all the time. Well, those things have led you to where you are right now. And that's great. Those things served a purpose and they served a certain benefit. But now, if you want to see that these particular teachings are actually what's causing the progress, what's creating the benefit on this path, then as we progress and you learn more and more through this program, set all those things aside and then practice these teachings that I share with you. And as you're practicing these, you will know that it's these teachings that are improving the condition of the mind. And I'll help you with that more and more as you progress in this program. You'll learn more and more of what Gautama Buddha's teachings are. And by setting aside these things that aren't Gautama Buddha's teachings, then when you're practicing his teachings, you'll know that it's in fact these teachings that are actually improving the condition of the mind, not the things that you've learned previously necessarily. Sure, those things have got you to where you are today, but now it's time to really dive into Gautama Buddha's teachings and you'll see the benefit and you'll see the results much more clearly by setting aside the things that you've learned in the past. Okay, so... With that said, let me just share this very next aspect that I would like to help you consider for your practice and for this program. As you heard me say, there is no fees for this program. Everything's being offered to you at no cost. So sometimes when we're in that situation, we might actually become complacent we might actually kind of sit back and just kind of ignore the book or decide not to go to Sunday's talk or Wednesday's talk. We might kind of push aside meditation. The mind can become quite lazy and complacent as we go throughout our days. And that's one of the most challenging things to eradicate in the mind. But if you are able to eradicate complacency in this laziness, you will actively be progressing on this path and make much more progress. So what I would like to encourage you to do is to consider and imagine that you've paid $9,999 for this program for the next six months. 
right? So everybody just close your eyes right now. Just close your eyes and visualize this mountain of currency, this mountain of money that you just worked so hard for, blood, sweat, and tears. You labored after this $9,999. And now you're taking all that blood, sweat, and tears, all that hard work, and you've just moved it into the middle and you've given that money for this six-month program. Okay? Now think about that. Every week when it's time to come to class on Sunday or Wednesday or when it's time to meditate, think about how you've just given $9,999 for this program. Okay? Think about it. It's not free. Yes, David's giving it away for free. Yes, he's doing it out of generosity, out of loving kindness, out of compassion. David's putting in all this effort and energy with Max and others. But imagine just for a bit and into the future that you've given all this money for this program and now treat this program as if you've given that amount of money. So that way you can be dedicated and committed to actually learning and progressing through the learning and on this path. Because the way that any kind of learning experience happens, whether you paid money or you didn't, is you get out of it what you put into it. So if you put effort to come to class on Sundays and Wednesdays, to read the book, to listen to the podcast, to listen to the audiobook, to watch the videos, to take the quizzes, to ask questions, however much or however little of that that you're able to do, you will essentially reap what you sow. You will gain and benefit whatever it is that you put into this program. That's what you will get out of it. Okay. So imagine as if you've put in a whole mountain of money and that whole mountain of money is what now is actually going to allow you to take this six-month program so that you can perhaps become more dedicated to learning and practicing the teachings. Okay, so I'd like to pause here and see if there's any questions that we have on what the program is, why we would actually attain enlightenment, how the program's structured, and anything else that we've been discussing so far. Hi, David. We have no questions on the program at the moment. Okay. With that said then, since there's no questions, what I'd like to do is just kind of turn this over to a couple of current students who have been learning with me and let you kind of hear from them of some of the things that they've experienced as part of learning and practicing the teachings, because it's one thing to hear the teacher share these things, but it's a whole another thing for you to hear it from existing students. So I don't know what they're actually going to say. I just invited them to talk. And since they've been studying for a little bit, I thought it would be a good opportunity for them to share with new students who might be joining us today or even students who have been studying for a little bit. So we're going to have a few students just share what their experiences has been like and through learning and practicing these teachings. So Max, if you'd like to take it away, that'd be great. 
Thank you. So, hello everybody. Some of you know me already. Great to see a lot of familiar faces and a number of new ones as well. Great to have you here for the start of the learning program. I thought it would be helpful if I just offered a bit of background on my journey in terms of how I got into meditation, when I met David and started practicing with David, and the benefits I've experienced out of that. So, I was meditating for four years on a daily basis before I met David. I had meditated a long time before that, just not consistently. And I initially started doing it regularly, really as a way to help the rest of my life. I thought it would help me reduce stress, be more focused, maybe enjoy life a little bit more. And at the time I was working a full-time job that was actually home-based. And then I was also building an online business at the same time with the intention to move from the career to the business. And so my mind was all over the place. And it was actually recommended to me by a business coach and actually recommended that I do Headspace, the, the app. And so I started doing that on a daily basis. During those four years, I definitely had flickerings of this is really like eliminating all my strip on a temporary basis. But it was not the case that I felt that maybe I should actually be working on my mind directly. I was actually using meditation as a way to try and help me with the rest of my life. And I was still in this frame of mind that I should be trying to build my life, trying to be something so I can do more and have more. And so really trying to make this permanent external set of circumstances that I thought would bring me a sense of freedom. Eventually, I ended up living the, the digital nomad lifestyle, as it were, and I had this dream that I was going to be uh, building a business, working on a business online whilst I travelled, and I did that, and it was great, and at the same time, it came with many, many challenges, and I feel that ultimately, all it did and all it could ever do, really, was put me face-to-face -face with my own mind. Ultimately, the things I wanted weren't lasting. Sometimes I didn't get them. And sometimes I was trying so hard to heighten the experience that I was having that that just brought with it almighty problems, let's say, you know, hangovers of all kinds. Eventually I ended up in Chiang Mai and I thought it's probably time I started looking at training the mind directly, seeing as everything we experience happens in the mind. And at that point I encountered David. So this is a good four years into meditating on a daily basis that I started practicing with David and I found that very quickly the results I was experiencing transformed. First of all, I think I started to dedicate myself to practice more. I realized that rather than use meditation as a way to help my life, I should be using my life as a way to help my mind. After all, that is really the point is to cultivate a peaceful and calm, content mind. So I started putting more effort into it. I started configuring my life in such a way that was built around meditation as well as doing anything else that I had to do, but was really about helping my mind. I started to take more responsibility for my state of mind. And whilst I had in the past realized that understanding that we can grow, we can develop, and that's a very useful thing to believe and understand, but taking that to a whole new level and understanding that all discontent feelings I was experiencing were really on some level 
my responsibility. I was causing them in some way. And that was a real shift in my practice because it reframed everything I was experiencing and then helped me think, okay, what did I do that caused me to be anxious or stressed or whatever it was? And in addition to that, not just meditating, but cleaning up my life outside of meditation, starting to practice things like loving kindness outside of meditation, starting to make better decisions that weren't based on wanting to be, do and have something, but were based on uh, wholesome decisions like speaking well, not acting out of greed or craving and uh, things like this. It's just practicing loving kindness in daily life. And so cleaning up my life outside of meditation, understanding what my attachments were really helped as well. And lastly, working with David very closely, asking questions, you know, getting more involved, seeking guidance when I was stuck, really helped me take my practice to the next level I've found. So here I am now. It's been coming up to 18 months since I met David initially, six months since we started the first group learning program. And so I decided to give back in my own way by becoming a moderator, which I think, if anything, is just you know, my proof of that I've been benefiting from this because it's a way of me to actually give back. I feel like I'll, I'm interested in giving back because of how much benefit I've received from this. So the last takeaway I would say is yeah, engaging with the teacher regularly, making sure that anything you're not sure about is cleared up and dedicating yourself to your practice. That's what has helped me and um, that more or less concludes my story. So hope that was helpful, guys, and thank you for listening. Those were some very good points, Max. You know, taking responsibility for your own actions, your own feelings that you dedicated more time and effort to actually learning and practicing the teachings, applying them outside of meditation, and then getting help from a teacher. Because one of the things that we know is everyone who needs to get enlightened is going to need a teacher. There's only one type of person that wouldn't need a teacher, and that's an actual Buddha, which we'll talk about when we get into chapter three. But everyone else needs guidance and they need teachers. So I'm glad that you've chose to learn, Max, and glad to hear that you're making progress on the path. So I think we have some other people, Max, that you've contacted and said that they would like to share their story as well about things that they've experienced in the program. Yes. So I know that's James and Carol, and you were both interested in your piece as well. So I suggest we go to James next because he's next in the Zoom list. Okay. Well, um, I would say and what led me to this point was I've always been a, a bit of a truth seeker as um, David was um, suggesting and um, I've had encounters with um, Buddhist teachings but it was really only in the last six months that I really um, emphasized like studying the teachings that I've been studying with David but just in that six months I've seen a major difference even at six months I've seen that you know your, your mind is what connects you to the world you know so if you can um, work on calming your mind there's no aspect of your life that can't be drastically different even with a few months practice and I can only imagine what that would be in years time I've felt a sense of calm patience compassion with others understanding of others and, and myself there's really no element of your life whether it's your personal life your professional life that will not benefit from you training your mind because your mind is what filters your experience with the world and um, I would say one of the things I've learned is identifying my attachments Every discontent feeling that, that you're going to have is going to be based on a, a 
attachments that you have into the world. And when you learn, when you learn that, you can learn this discontent feeling that I'm having, whether it's anger. You can learn exactly what attachment is causing that, and you can not only understand yourself better, but you can understand how to train your mind to be a calmer person and to not cling to such feelings. It's really helped me understand the world in a different way. There aren't a lot of things that, that can happen in the world, whether I'm on a political scale or on a personal scale, that they're really the biggest teachings from 2,500 years ago. They're not explain just very accurately. And I think as you dive into the teachings and you ask questions and you, you really not just read the teachings, but really invest yourself in them, that, that you'll find that you'll find that it begins to explain what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world around you. And one thing that David has mentioned is that the rewards are greater than, than what you give up. If um, perhaps you're giving up time, perhaps you're giving up unwholesome activities, and that may feel like a cost to you. It may feel like you're sacrificing initially, but from my experience, I can I can really say that the rewards that you'll receive through the calmer mind and how that will affect you and the world around you are so much greater than any reward that you would be giving up. And I would say in regards to specifically the class, everyone has their own way of um, approaching it, but I think it's effective to um, you know read the chapter at one point before the class, and that way, if you have questions in your mind, you'll have a great platform to um, to ask those questions and to better understand. And it's a great thing, like David was mentioning, about about the teachings. You may come from a tradition where it's blasphemous to question the teachings, but that you're that you're learning. But in this in this class and with the Buddhist teachings, you are you're welcome to attempt to disprove the Buddha and and I think that's that's great. Like if if there's a part of the teachings that you you see not playing out in the world as, as you expect, like you just you can ask questions about that and it's likely that, that David can clarify the teachings so so that you understand it in a in a more clear way and you'll you'll benefit so much through that. And um, so I would definitely encourage that. It's it's not about faith, it's about it's about evidence and um, it's it's about you um, seeing that for yourself in the world. And I would just say for our teacher, as a household practitioner and a person who's lived a, a life of various experiences. He's a great person that can relate to whatever situations is going on in your life and that can speak to those situations and that can answer your questions and that has experience overcoming the same types of challenges that you're going through. So I would highly encourage you to ask any questions that you have. There's never going to be any judgment from David. There's no expectations. I would just encourage anyone listening to this to just feel free to um, ask and express anything that's on your mind. And um, I think that's another great aspect of this class and the teachings. So um, yeah, I think that's um, that's what I would um, like to say to new students. Thank you, James. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, something that you brought up, which is, I think, very important is, I didn't live a perfect life. You know, the, the life in my past was very imperfect, right? And through all of those experiences and evolving past all of the heartache and misery and challenges that I faced, there are certain wisdom that I experienced as part of that progression. And what I look to do is 
really understand the students and what you're actually going through and help you through these teachings to also evolve past those same experiences. So that's why James mentioned there's no judgment from me because anything that you're doing or anything that you've experienced, I've probably already done a hundred million different times. So it would be you know, really silly of me as a teacher to judge any students and remember that these teachings it's a gradual progression you're not going to just snap the fingers and be able to implement these teachings right away so as i share these teachings if your practice is so far away from what the buddha actually taught that leads to enlightenment that's okay you know wherever you're starting from that's okay the reason why you're learning these teachings and looking to practice them is because you are also imperfect, right? Just like I was imperfect as well. So attaining this knowledge and moving towards the enlightened mind is to understand these natural laws of existence to move towards this enlightened mind, which will experience a much better life for you. So thanks for bringing that up, James, and giving the students some tips on you know, reading before class if you'd like to, so that that way you have something to come into the class and get clarification on either on Sunday or Wednesday. So very good suggestions there. And Max, I think you had somebody else that you contacted that would like to share today. Yes, I'd suggest we go over to you, Carol. First, I'd like to say you all, and it's a pleasure to be part of this group. Um, I too met David about 18 months ago, not physically, uh, but my background is, I always considered myself very spiritual. Um, I could never connect to any religion. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic, and it just never clicked for me. Um, I did a lot of yoga. I learned meditations through yoga. I became an instructor in mindfulness, stress reduction. Um, so I always had this drive of knowing there was something larger than myself out there um, and about two years ago I was a emergency room nurse um, quite different from my former career as a massage therapist esthetician spa worker but opposite of passions and I was getting very burnt out I didn't realize how burnt out I was at the time and I decided it was time to go back to my roots and try to find who, who I was, who the true person beneath all this action outwardly was who I was. So the universe actually gave me that opportunity by me having a little episode at work where I snapped and was terminated. Tragic at the moment, but in hindsight, best thing that happened. So the day that I snapped at work, I came to do this anymore. I need to get away. I went online and booked a trip to Thailand for 40 days. Never been there, just heard it was an amazing place and something I always wanted to do. And I knew I could go there. I knew I could sit, I could meditate. And from everything I heard, I knew I'd be embraced by spiritual people. Not necessarily knowing Buddhist as the base, but not really knowing anything about Buddhism. So my first day in um, Thailand was Chiang Mai, and I went to a little temple. I was always drawn to the smaller, um, less elaborate temples. 
And while I was in there, I found a pamphlet, a booklet, very few pages, David's first edition of his book. Um, I started reading it in the temple. I ran into one of the student monks who told me that it was from David and one of his teachers, and he allowed me to keep this book. So I brought it back to my hotel. I started reading it, and in the book it had mentioned to contact David through Facebook. So that's what I did. And not realizing at the time that it was the beginning of this group, so fortunately, I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with David. Um, we chatted while I was on the bus, taking, going to my next phase in Thailand. Um, helped me answer so many of my own spiritual questions that I had. And was my introduction to Buddhism. And I finally was like, this clicks. This works for me. Because it's not about belief. It's not about faith. It's about karma. And it's about what you put out, you get back. And to me, that made all the sense in the world. And I also love the fact that, you know, David comes from a practice of no rituals, no mala beads, that you don't need anything external to become enlightened and to enjoy your life and path. So since I've been back from Thailand almost 18 months ago, David and I have remained friends, teacher, student, um, I've made other friends through this group, and it's been a great format for me to have questions answered unconditionally, unjudgmental. Um, I've had meetings with David through FaceTime. We've had phone calls. His willingness to always be available for his students, especially at no fee, to me is just an ultimate gift of generosity, which has rippled effect to me wanting to be more generous and be able to give to others whatever I can, whether that's my time, whether I can help financially. But the more I learn and the more I apply, the better my life gets. Two years ago, my life was chaos. The discontentment in my head felt like it was gonna explode. Today, I walk around so content just uh, like James said, when I find that frustration, I ask, what's my expectation? What's my attachment? Why am I feeling this way? And how can I change it? And being able to do that is incredible to realize that, that no, nothing or nobody outside of you causes your state of mind, that we are in the driving seat of that. And the more we train it, the more we control it. The more we control it, the better life we have. So that's a short beef of my journey, and um, I am so appreciative of everything I have. Um, so appreciative of David and the group and the support, and love to see that this community keeps growing every day. So thank you, David, and thank you all for being part of this with me. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, James and Max, for sharing your thoughts. I think it's always helpful to hear from people who've been on this journey for a bit, specifically studying in this program, because as you hear, these are people who are actually making progress. And there's others as well. We couldn't you know, have everybody talk, but I thought it would be a good idea. And I mentioned to Max the other day that maybe we should have a few people talk so that you guys can get some opportunity to hear from other people about what they've experienced. And there's many more Carols and there's many more Jameses and many more Maxes 
out there who are getting experience and practicing these teachings and seeing results. So that's the real beauty, as they've been saying, is that you get to see the progress with the mind yourself. And one of the things as we now move into talking about this week's content about the universal teachings is Gautama Buddha's teachings are not a religion the way that I see it. Carol kind of touched on this a bit. To me, what a religion is, is religion is rites, rituals, worship in a centralized organization that kind of collects the teachings and then kind of distributes them out and has everybody believe those teachings and follow those rites, rituals, and worship. That's not what Gautama Buddha's teachings are at all. His teachings aren't rites, rituals, and worship. First of all, he talked about that, that you know that's not what leads to training the mind in this enlightened mental state. And there is no centralized organization that collects all the teachings and then distributes them out for everybody to learn and do rites, rituals, and worship. There is no centralized organization. It was after Gautama Buddha died and after Jesus Christ died and after Prophet Muhammad died and all these other original teachers died that people kind of gathered the teachings together and now there became a centralized organization. But that never happened with Gautama Buddha's teachings. It never, ever happened. The teachings of Gautama Buddha live in the hearts and in the mind of individual practitioners. So here with Gautama Buddha's teachings, you're not going to be required or expected to do anything. The teachings are here. They're available for you to learn and to practice if you choose. You're not required to do anything in life. The only thing that you really have to do is you're going to have to get sick because you're human. You're going to have to get old and you'll have to die. And if you die later in life, then you're going to experience lots of sickness and aging. Or if you die sooner, then maybe not so much aging. But those are the only three things as humans that we truly have to do. And if we don't attain this enlightened mental state, of course, there's going to be rebirth. But there is no religion in Gautama Buddha's teachings because there are no rites, rituals, and worship, and there is no centralized organization that's distributing all these teachings out. So when the Buddha became enlightened and he started teaching, he didn't say, I've discovered a new religion, right? He never said that. He never said, I discovered a new religion. What he said was, I discovered a better way of life. And it's this better way of life that I plan to share with you over the next six months through all the various teachings and all the various things that we're going to cover in the next six months. I'm going to slowly and gradually roll out and share this better way of life with you so that as you learn it and you apply it in practice, you will see that it absolutely is the truth. And as James was saying, that you know you will be able to slowly, gradually see this progression and there's no judgment from me, there's no expectation from me, it's just sharing the teachings. Any questions that you have, you're more than welcome to ask. It's not about not challenging the teachings. James said this very eloquently that some traditions, you know, by challenging the teachings, it's kind of wrong. 
But in these teachings, there's a way to politely, kindly, and respectfully discuss the teachings. And if you aren't understanding what's being shared, you can ask questions. And I actually invite students at different times in the program to disprove the Buddha because that's one of the best ways to determine whether what the Buddha taught is actually true or not. Because if we can disprove the Buddha through evidence, then we know that what the Buddha taught is not correct. It's not true. So at different times in this program, as I'm sharing certain teachings, I will ask you, okay, do you have anything that disproves this, that what the Buddha actually taught is true? And that is what the Buddha called investigation of the teachings. And this is actually part of attaining enlightenment. There's seven factors of enlightenment that we're going to get to in chapter three. And one of those factors of enlightenment is keen investigation of the teachings. So you're going to need to investigate the actual teachings in order to learn them, reflect on them, apply them in practice and see the actual results of the condition of the mind improving. So here today, we're going to be discussing chapter one. Now, you may or may not have even read chapter one at this point, and that's completely fine. You're going to need to make some slow, gradual progression to start progressing with this schedule of where you either read before or after class or before and after class. And you can choose how to work that into your life. But each Sunday, I'll be talking about a given chapter. And then on Wednesday, I'll be teaching you meditation. So today, I plan to talk about chapter one, the universal teachings of universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. This is the very first chapter. So once you read the preface in the book, and then you get to chapter one, this is where I actually share these teachings. And this is something that I shared myself in this book. It doesn't come from actually Gautama Buddha, but in fact, what it does is it shares these three universal teachings of universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. And the reason why I put it right here at the beginning of the book is because from my experience of having shared some form of Gautama Buddha's teaching since 2005, the vast majority of the people that I teach are coming from other traditions, whether it's Hinduism or Christianity or uh, Muslim teachings or any other various teachings out there that exist in the world, it's more frequent that I'm actually teaching people coming from these other traditions. There's many times now that I teach Thai people and other Buddhist practitioners that are coming to me for learning, but definitely early in my teaching experience, it was always people coming from other traditions. And I always felt that it's important to help you see and create this bridge from whatever you've learned previously over to Gautama Buddha's teachings. Not that you ever need to give up those other teachings or turn your back on those, because those teachings of Hinduism, Christianity, Muslim teachings, Jainism, Judaism, you know, any tradition out there, there's so many variety of traditions that exist in the world. All of these traditions 
in my view and in my opinion are essentially teaching these three core universal teachings. And I summarize that as universal love for all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person. So whether you've gotten into Hinduism or Christianity or Islam teachings or any of these other traditions, they're all essentially teachings being shared with humanity by various teachers to help humanity to learn how to love all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person. And the beauty in this is this is exactly what Gautama Buddha's teachings are doing as well. So if you've learned some of these other traditions that have taught various aspects of how to live a better life, then what you'll come to learning Gautama Buddha's teachings and looking at your previous traditions is you'll come to realize that they're all essentially teaching these three universal teachings. So this enlightened mental state that Gautama Buddha called Nibbana, and we call enlightenment, or you might have heard referred to as Nirvana. These are all different languages that essentially mean the same thing. If you think about this mental state of Nibbana or enlightenment, this mental state, in my view, is a human phenomenon. It's a thing that people can dive into and explore through learning various teachings, and they can evolve the mind to this enlightened mental state, this better way of living through any avenue of different teachings, whether that's Hinduism, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Muslim teachings. Even nowadays, they have things called quantum physics that are applying kind of modern language and modern concepts to some of these natural laws of existence, which is what we call them in the Buddhist tradition. What Gautama Buddha did is through his own pursuit and his own journey, he awakened his mind to the natural laws of existence. And in his teachings, he describes these natural laws and through learning these natural laws, observing them in practice, observing them in life, you will be able to independently observe that these natural laws are in fact true. And therefore, you will have more wisdom about these natural laws. And the more wisdom you have about these natural laws, the mind will awaken, allowing you to make better and better and better decisions in life, therefore creating a more peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind and life with joy. And one of the primary natural laws that Gautama Buddha discovered is what he calls the natural law of gamma, or we also call it karma. That's Sanskrit. But I tend to use the Pali language because that's what his teachings are captured in. So this natural law of gamma, of cause and effect, or action and result, essentially all the decisions that you make in life have a certain result, right? As you make various decisions, they have a certain result. And this is a natural law that human beings are genuinely misunderstanding. We are unaware of, we're unawakened to this natural law. This is why the mind is unenlightened. So we are unknowing of true reality about this natural law of gamma. And because we're unknowing of this natural law, our life becomes very difficult. 
it becomes very troubled. We tend to experience lots of misery in this human life because we're unaware of this natural law. What Gautama Buddha's teachings are going to do as we slowly guide you in this program to learning and then independently observing them on your own is awakens the mind to this natural law of gamma so that the more you learn about this natural law, then you can make better and better decisions in your life which will improve your own situations in your life. So there's never a time where I'm actually going to tell you what to do. I will give you guidance. I will give you suggestions about Gautama Buddha's teachings, but there's always 10 million right answers and you will need to discover what those 10 million right answers are. But you will come to a particular answer that you feel is right in your given situation in life based on your wisdom of this natural law. And by learning and understanding this natural law, you will function in the world much more peacefully, calmly, serenely, contently with joy. And you've already actually done this with another natural law that you might not realize that you've done this with. The natural law of gravity, you were completely unaware of the natural law of gravity when you were first born into this world, when you were six months old, one year old, three years old, you were highly unaware, you were unawakened to the natural law of gravity. All you understood is every time you stood up, you kept plopping back down. Or if you put your toy in a certain location, it would fall and break. Or if you sat too close to the edge of the couch or the chair, you would fall off and hit your head. Or if you ran too fast and you didn't have control of the body, you would fall down and hurt yourself. That's all you knew, right? But over time, as you aged, as people slowly, gradually taught you about this natural law of gravity, you saw the truth for yourself and you gained wisdom about this natural law of gravity. And the more wisdom that you got about this natural law of gravity, your decisions started to slowly improve where you started learning to place your glass of water in a certain place and place your toys in a certain place. And you learned that your body had to have certain amount of strength in order to run and you had to have a certain amount of awareness so that you don't fall, right? Your mind slowly, gradually awakened to this natural law of gravity. And when it did, then you became much more able to function in the world more peacefully to the point now where you could go take a bus, you could take a plane, you could take a train, you could go anywhere you want in the world and you can function with this natural law of gravity almost seamlessly because your mind is fully awakened to this natural law of gravity. Well, now what the Buddhist teachings are going to do for you is they are going to awaken the mind to these natural laws of existence, mainly the natural law of gamma. And when you learn this natural law and you gain the wisdom through gradually learning it and seeing it to be true in practice, you will have the wisdom to now make better and better decisions in your life and awaken the mind to this natural law 
so that now you can create a better and better life for yourself through your own decisions. That's how through learning the teachings, applying them in practice, seeing the truth, gaining wisdom of this natural law, now you will come up with solutions to your own problems. This is why Gautama Buddha never dove into actually telling people what to do in their life. He just shared with you what these natural laws of existence are, namely the natural law of gamma. And then once you train the mind and gain the wisdom, you will figure out what you need to do in this life, right? So the role of the teacher is to share the teachings, provide you guidance and support along this path, and then you will figure out what decisions to make in your life. That's the real beauty in this. And there's always 10 million right answers in any given situation. But we know the wrong answer. The wrong answer is to get angry, frustrated, irritated, annoyed. But because the mind is unawakened and hasn't been trained, that's what you may be experiencing right now. And whenever your mind gets to that point, that's where things start going wrong for you. And what you're going to be able to do through these teachings is awaken the mind more and more and more to this natural law of gamma, the natural laws of existence, and you will be able to make better and better decisions in your life. And that's what you heard from Max, James, and Carol, that they're observing more and more improvements and better and better results in their life. Well, the Buddha does explain this human phenomenon of enlightenment through these natural laws of existence. However, there's other teachers who've kind of tapped into these natural laws as well. Teachers in Hinduism or Christianity or the Muslim teachings. There's various leaders or the original teachers of these various traditions that kind of explain these natural laws in their own way. And what Gautama Buddha did is for me, he explained it very clearly, very concisely. He's like Professor A and Jesus is maybe Professor B and maybe Prophet Muhammad is Professor C and so forth. And all of these professors have contributed something to the world that helps us to understand the world and moves humanity to this more enlightened mental state. And for me, it all boils down to these three universal teachings of universal love for all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person. So let's actually talk about what this means so that you'll understand this a little bit more. And these three universal teachings can be essentially a guiding light for you. When all the other teachings of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, the Natural Law of Gamma, and everything else is just maybe not quite succinct in the mind yet. If you come back to these three universal teachings, they will be the guiding light for you in your life. And if you're practicing these three universal teachings that I'm sharing with you, you will know that all will go well. So this first one, universal love of all beings. What does this mean? First, let's describe what love is. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, we misunderstand love. We actually have a chapter, chapter 14, where we're going to dive very deeply into love. But just basically, let's talk about love. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, we will meet certain people 
We will get to know them. We will kind of see if they've earned our respect and whether they've earned our love. And we will basically observe their behaviors and decide, okay, now I love this person, right? Essentially, there was some judgment that we made, right? We had certain expectations. And if this person fulfills those expectations and we judge that they fulfilled our expectations, we will then say, okay, I love you. And then we will add more expectations and expect that person to keep fulfilling those expectations. And when they get to the point where they can't fulfill those expectations anymore for whatever reason, we will say, okay, I don't love you anymore. I've fallen out of love with you. Okay. This is what happens oftentimes in the unenlightened state. We fall in love and out of love with people based on whether this person has met our expectations or not. We have certain obligations and expectations, and if they meet them, then we love them. And if they don't meet them, at whatever point they stop meeting them, we will say, we don't love you anymore. Well, this is essentially sabotaging our relationships. This is actually causing havoc in our relationships because there's nobody on earth that can fulfill all of the ever-changing expectations that we have in the unenlightened state. As the mind comes up with all these different expectations of things that it wants because of impermanence, there's nobody on this face of the earth that will ever fulfill all your expectations as long as you have expectations for other people. So therefore, what love all beings or universal love of all beings is, is to drop all the expectations, is to just love people and love beings, animals or humans, just because you love them. Just love them to love them because they're another human, they're another being. Have care and compassion and kindness for all beings. Because as long as we have these expectations, and as long as we're judging other people of whether they're meeting those expectations or not, and as long as we keep adding to this list, we're going to always be discontent because we're in this situation where we're constantly having to judge people and those people are ha constantly having to live up to our expectations and we're constantly changing the expectations in the mind. We're essentially sabotaging the relationships. And this is one of the reasons why oftentimes we find it hard in the unenlightened state to have loving, fulfilling relationships with a life partner because we are sabotaging the relationship. But if we have universal love for all beings, then we love unconditionally. Back here with all these expectations and obligations, these are conditions. We're saying, if you meet these conditions, I will love you. Therefore, this isn't really actually love. This is actually selfishness. This is actually manipulation to a certain extent, because we're saying, as long as you do these things, I will love you. But when you stop doing these, I will stop loving you. This is essentially selfishness, and it causes much, much havoc in our relationships. But what universal love of all beings is, is that we drop all these expectations, that we don't judge other people. We don't judge them for what they are or are not doing. 
We don't judge them for whether they're male or female or whether they like same-sex relationships or not, whether they happen to identify with the same gender as the sexual organs, whether they have the same color of skin or hair or eyes as us or not, but we just love all beings because it's right to just love all beings and let go of all these expectations. Sure, in a relationship, there needs to be politeness and kindness and respect that we give to each other. But if all beings are just doing that naturally, just being polite and kind and respectful, not earning respect, but just giving respect to everybody, by doing that, then what you'll see is that that love will be returned to you. If you've got expectations of others and you're judging other people and that's what you're putting out into the world, then that's what's going to come back to you. And you're going to find it very challenging to have very loving relationships with all beings. But if you drop all these expectations and you just out of the kindness of your heart, out of the compassion of your heart, just love all beings, whether they're human or animals, then what you're going to find is that that's what will come to you. So what we're really talking about here is a world where we eliminate discrimination. We eliminate racism. We eliminate sexism. We eliminate homophobia. We eliminate xenophobia. We eliminate all of these phobias and isms to the point where we look at each individual being, whether human or animal, as our brother, our sister, our mother, our father, or some other relative. And if you get in touch with looking at all beings, whether animal or human, as being some previous relative, some relative of yours, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or some other relative, if you can look at all beings that way, then it's very easy to have universal love for all beings. Whether they have the same color of hair or skin, whether they have the same accent as you or not, whether they speak the same language of you or not, what these teachings are about, and I would say what all the other teachings are about, whether it's Hinduism, Christianity, Muslim teachings, Judaism, Jainism, or any of the others, it's all about having this universal love for all beings. And by doing that, and by practicing in that way, having love and kindness and compassion for all beings, what you will realize is that that's what will be returned to you because of this natural law of gamma. So we need to strip down all of these expectations and obligations and judgment, we'll talk about these things later in other classes, strip down this ego, right? This pride that we oftentimes enter into relationships with, judging whether somebody should or shouldn't get our respect. When we strip all that away and we just get to the purity of, this is another human being, I'm going to love them. This is a dog. I'm going to love it. This is a snake. I'm going to love it. Doesn't mean I have to cuddle up next to it in bed, but there's no reason for me to harm it, right? There's no reason for me to have hatred because love is what we need to practice towards all beings. But the opposite of that, 
is hatred, anger, ill will. So by practicing universal love for all beings, you're then going to be extinguishing the hatred, the anger, and the ill will, that resentment that sometimes exists in the mind. And that's part of training the mind to practice this love for all beings. Okay, so this is the first universal teaching. And Gautama Buddha taught it as loving kindness and compassion and other things that we're going to talk about. But these other traditions have their own ways as well. I'm not familiar with Hinduism and Muslim teachings and some of these others, but I know like Jesus Christ, he said, love thy neighbor. It's the same thing, right? Unconditional love of all beings. And the more you practice that, a bug lands on you, don't kill it, just swipe it off right? You see some insects in your home, just sweep them up with a broom and relocate them outside, right? Whether you choose to continue to eat animals or not, it's totally up to you. That might be something you decide to approach later in practice. But that's another thing that you'll need to consider is if I'm truly going to love all beings, would I eat my mother? Would I eat my father? Would I eat my brother and my sister? Because the pig, the cow, the fish, all of these things are living beings that if we choose to continue to eat, we're going to continue to have problems. So practicing universal love of all beings is going to take you closer and closer to this enlightened mind where you're eradicating and eliminating hatred, anger, and ill will, and all the other lesser versions of that. The second universal teaching is do no harm, okay? This is a central theme in all the various traditions in the world, particularly here in Gautama Buddha's teachings. His teachings are all about practicing harmlessness because when we cause harm to others through our speech, through our actions, through our livelihood, through other aspects of life, by causing harm, harm is going to be returned to us. So one of the things that you're going to learn in this program is how to practice harmlessness. The more that you understand this natural law of gamma and you understand this path that the Buddha shared with us, you'll be able to practice harmlessness. And by practicing harmlessness, not causing harm to others, no harm will come to you. And I know that's hard for you to maybe fathom right now, if you're just at the beginning of this path or if you haven't studied the path in this way before. But the more you observe this to be the truth, the more you will see that by you not causing harm, no harm will come to you. Well, what do we do nowadays that causes harm? We talk sometimes in the unenlightened state, we talk aggressively to people or we talk hostile to people or we have, you know, uh, motivations of what we're trying to get from one person or another. And we're trying to sometimes manipulate people through our speech or our actions to get one thing or another. We oftentimes cause harm through our actions as well, which we're going to discuss in this program. We oftentimes cause harm through our livelihoods and other things. We even sometimes cause harm to the earth, right? And that's one of the reasons why right now, in the world, we're having so many problems with climate change and the world is getting warmer and hotter and it isn't as easily able to sustain life as it once was. So we need to learn how to not cause harm 
to other beings, animals and humans, but also not cause harm to the earth as well. So by practicing harmlessness, then we will actually realize a more peaceful life because no harm will come to us. If we go around speaking harshly and aggressively to all the people around us, then that's what's going to come back to us. But if we speak very lovingly and kindly to all the people around us, that's what's going to come back to us. If we throw trash in our front yard every single day, then eventually we've got a pile of trash and we've got to deal with that because we've caused harm. So we've got to look at all the decisions that we make in terms of our speech and our actions and our livelihood as a way of not causing harm. And this leads into the third universal teaching, which is be a good moral person. Being a good moral person is based on Gautama Buddha's teachings that he shares in the Eightfold Path. In the Eightfold Path, there's eight steps that we're going to explore in chapter five. The first two steps relate to wisdom, but the three middle steps, step three, four, and five, relate to good moral conduct. And then the last three relate to the mental discipline. But good moral conduct is essentially our speech, our actions, and our livelihood, which comprises our conduct, that we do these things in a good, wholesome, moral way that we don't cause harm to others. And in this program, I will be sharing with you the Buddhist teachings about this natural law of gamma. And the more that you understand that, you will understand the decisions to make for your own life that will ensure that you're being a good moral person. Not that I'm judging you or anyone else is judging you, but you will know what leads to a good moral person and you will be able to practice those things and as you practice them and you see your life improve that's how you know you're practicing the truth as i share with you what is right speech and you bring your speech closer and closer to that just general guidance and then you bring your speech closer to that you will see how your relationships improve and when you practice right action and you're not causing harm through your actions, you're being a good moral person, you will see how your life improves. And when you practice right livelihood, you will see by being this good moral person, how life continues to get better and better and better for you. Okay, so I would say that all of these three universal teachings are common throughout all the various traditions. They're all leading us towards these same goals of universal love of all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person. But I think what you'll find with Gautama Buddha's teachings is he said them in such a clear, concise, direct, and also simple way that because of that, they're very profound. By learning his very simplistic teachings, they often are very profound because by learning these teachings, you can learn them in a very simple, clear, and direct way. Therefore, you can bring them into the mind very easily, and then you can apply them in daily life very easily because they're very simple. His teachings aren't complex. It's oftentimes the human ego that attempts to create teachings that are very complex or very convoluted because the human ego wants things to be very complex and convoluted because then 
when you actually kind of figure it out, the ego feels like it's smart and intelligent. But remember, a fully perfectly enlightened Buddha, they don't have ego. So when the Buddha taught, his teachings are actually very, very simple. People have complicated them over the years, which has made it more and more challenging for people to attain enlightenment. But when you look at his pure teachings, they're actually very, very simple. And the beauty in that is that you can bring them on board into the mind very easily and very readily. Therefore, you can apply them in daily life much more readily and therefore move to this enlightened mental state. So I think what you'll find is while all these various traditions around the world that have existed for many, many years are all leading humanity to a similar goal, this human phenomenon that the Buddha called enlightenment or Jesus Christ called the Holy Spirit and other people had their names for it, even though they're all kind of moving in the same direction and helping humanity understand these natural laws of existence, I think what you'll find is Gautama Buddha said them so clearly, so directly, so simply that they can be applied in daily life, which makes them so profound that you can very easily understand the world and decisions to make with this wisdom and actually see the results for yourself. So now that we've shared this, I would like to just see if there's any questions throughout social media or in our interactive classroom in Zoom. He talks a bit there, David, about how these are universal teachings that really are put across by most of the world's major traditions. But a question that comes up a lot in the Facebook groups that I attend is something on the lines of, can I maintain a practice of Jesus Christ's teachings and a belief in God whilst also practicing the teachings of Gosma Buddha? Yeah, that was one of the important things that I was hoping to kind of draw out in this chapter is to help people see that if you currently are Christian or you consider yourself Christian and you're learning Gautama Buddha's teachings, they're actually going to go hand in hand together, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Hinduism or Muslim teachings or what have you, because all of these original teachers are guiding humanity to these three universal teachings and towards this goal of universal love of all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person, you can maintain your understanding of Jesus Christ's teachings or any of these other traditions and also learn Gautama Buddha's teachings and actually practice them. In fact, what you might realize is that by learning Gautama Buddha's teachings, it will actually help you understand Jesus Christ's teachings even more. It may help you understand Hinduism even more or Muslim teachings even more. So there might be some uniquenesses that you need to understand of how to liberate the mind, but you can still practice Jesus Christ's teachings and still have a relationship with God or Allah. And you can still have those relationships and liberate the mind. When we get to chapter 19, we'll be talking about how to do that. We'll be talking about how you can maintain your relationship and practice of these other traditions more deeply, more closely, and still liberate the actual mind. Because, for example, if you're in prayer asking God for all kinds of benefits and help, and you think that it's up to God to create a better life for you, then you're not understanding these teachings. What these teachings come down to is personal responsibility, 
personal accountability by through you learning and practicing these teachings and making better and better decisions in your life, you can improve your life. You do it, right? And this is the beauty, like what Carol was talking about, is that you have it completely within you to learn these teachings, apply them in life, and create a better life for yourself. It's not relying on God to do work for you. It's actually you doing the work. And by you doing the work, which may require some evolution in how you currently have a relationship and understanding of these other traditions, you may need to evolve that understanding, but you can certainly maintain your understanding because they all come down to these three universal teachings. We have a question from a high role. Hi, David. I watched a video the other day about some monks in Thailand who went to a market and some people giving alms to them. I saw one of them giving them meat. And I wonder if the monks there can still eat meat or are they vegan like other monks in Vietnam where I come from? Thank you. Sure. So there's no universal way that everyone in the world practices these teachings that because of impermanence and everything's constantly changing and evolving, you won't find that everyone in the world practices these teachings exactly the same. So when it comes to eating meat or not, you will find some Buddhist practitioners who don't eat meat at all, and you will find some who eat just a little bit of meat, and you'll find some that eat plenty of meat at every meal because everybody practices differently. Remember, in this path, there's no judgment, there's no expectations, there's no damnation if you choose to do one thing or another. But what I've discovered in these teachings and through understanding the natural law of gamma is that I've chosen not to eat meat anymore. And we will dive into this in chapter seven, which is the five precepts that I will help you to see how through eating meat, it does cause harm to you. But when or if you ever choose to let go of meat and decide to not eat meat is totally up to you. You know, again, when or if you ever choose to stop eating meat is totally up to you. But yes, here in Thailand, it's pretty heavily centric on eating meat. However, this comes from what I feel to be a misunderstanding of Gautama Buddhist teachings, which I cover in the book in chapter seven. There's definitely a certain community of people in Thailand who don't eat meat and who practice in that way. And they understand that in order to have universal love for all beings, that eating meat is killing other beings and it causes harm in the world to kill other beings. And it also causes harm to us because we ingest those toxins and hormones and drugs from the actual animal. And by eating that flesh, there's all kinds of studies that have been done that shows the disease and sickness that the human body experiences through continuing to eat flesh of animals. Gautama Buddha, he shared teachings with us, but he didn't actually share the harm that is necessarily going to come back to us. He shared this is how to not cause harm. And if you practice these teachings, no harm will come to you. But what's interesting is now that we're 2,500 years past the time when he delivered his teachings, 
we can now take those teachings that he shared and we can actually see the harms that have come to the world by us not practicing those teachings. And one of the harms that you can see is by eating animal flesh, the human body is going to get disease, sickness, illness. It also affects the mind because of the drugs and hormones and toxins in the flesh. It affects the human mind. And again, rather than believe me on this, if you are not yet eating all plant-based food supply, if you transition to a plant-based food supply, you will see over the course of two or three months how the condition of the mind improves and how the condition of the body improves. You can see the truth for yourself. There's plenty of research out there that shows what I'm sharing, but rather than even believing the research, if you choose to do it when and if you ever do, you will see the truth for yourself as the condition of the body and the mind improves. That's how you discover the truth by actually practicing the teachings. But we're going to get into this one more when we get into chapter seven. Yes, I think it's helpful for people to know that these are not a set of rules to be followed, but they are a practice so that practitioners can see the results themselves. Because I think a lot of people are very used to coming from these very rule-based, structured organizations, religious organizations, and maybe that puts people off sometimes. They, they, they see you know, a lot of danger in that naturally. So yeah, I think that's a really helpful thing to iterate. Yes, this is something that I bring up oftentimes in conversation that the Buddha didn't lay down a bunch of rules. And if you don't follow these rules, bad things are going to happen to you, right? He never used guilt, shame, and fear to motivate people to actually learn his teachings because the whole goal of these teachings is to eliminate guilt, shame, and fear along with all other discontent feelings. So the Buddhist teachings are not rules to be followed. And if somebody approaches this practice and this path as rules, then they tend to only be doing them because they're rules rather than making good, wholesome, personal choices based on good, wholesome intentions. So what the Buddha actually did is he provided guidance. He said, okay, this enlightened mental state, if you would like to attain this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, where the mind has concentration, has memory and clarity of thought, and you eliminate all these discontent feelings, if that's what you're interested in attaining, here's the guidance of how to attain it. And the more close you get to learning and practicing this guidance, you will observe for yourself that the mind is moving in those directions. So the Buddha actually points the way and says, this is the way to enlightenment. And if you would like to travel this path, here's the way. It's kind of like saying there's a city a thousand kilometers away. And if you would like to take this path to get to the city, here's your map. And you're welcome to follow this map. And you'll see that it leads directly to that city. But what happens is some people sometimes do look at these teachings as rules, but that's not the way he described them at all. He described them as guidance in, you know, here's the way, here's the map. If you choose to follow this map, you're going to get to your destination, but it needs to be good, wholesome, personal choices that you make along the way. We have a couple of follow-ups from Joy. She asks, why are there shrines to Buddha in homes with gifts of fruit and incense burning? 
is that not religious based and is it something that is not necessary yes these are misunderstandings of Gautama Buddha's teachings one of the things that I do in this book and in this program is help you to understand all the various misunderstandings that have come about from 2,500 years ago from when the Buddha actually died until now. Because of something called impermanence, which we will study in chapter 4, things have changed since his actual death. And there's various practitioners around the world that are practicing all different types of misunderstandings of Gautama Buddha's teachings. And one of the things you will see is these shrines or altars. You'll see statues. You'll see people feeding statues. And none of this is what Gautama Buddha actually taught. And none of that leads to enlightenment. It's not necessary. That is rites, rituals, ceremonies, worship. It's not part of his teachings whatsoever. He never taught it. And by doing those things, it actually doesn't lead to enlightenment. But when I observe people doing these things, I don't judge them or look down on them. I just know that they're misunderstanding the teachings. And one of the things that you're going to get in this program and in all the resources that I share is what are the Buddhist teachings that lead to enlightenment? And what you'll see is it doesn't include anything about having a shrine or an altar or a statue or feeding statues or doing any kinds of rites, rituals, ceremonies, or worship, because none of that stuff is going to improve the condition of the mind. And that's why Gautama Buddha never taught it, because all of his teachings are about training the mind to either eliminate certain qualities from the mind or cultivate certain qualities in the mind. So that's what this program and all of Gautama Buddha's teachings center on, is training the mind through independent observation so that you can gain wisdom to improve your decision-making in life by training this mind to eliminate certain qualities and cultivate certain qualities. Joy also had a question when you were talking about eating meat. She asks, so do people not come back as plants? No, a plant is not a living being. In order to have a living being, there has to be three things. There has to be an egg, there has to be sperm, and there has to be a consciousness, right? The consciousness or the mind, right? So, of course, human beings, there's an egg, there's a sperm, there's a consciousness. And animals, insects, mammals, things like this, there's an egg, there's a sperm, and there's a consciousness, there's a mind. This is a living being. But a plant, while we might consider them to be alive, many of us do, we consider them to be alive. They are not a living being having a egg, a sperm, and a consciousness, right? A mind. So plants are not living beings and we don't come back as plants. There's only five different types of beings that exist in the world. And we'll get into that as we get deeper into the teachings. On the topic of rebirth, Deborah asks, is it possible to have known other beings in past lives? Absolutely. In fact, Gautama Buddha shared, and I can confirm this as well, is that it would be impossible to find a being today 
that hasn't previously been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or some other relative. So essentially when we were lizards, Max and I were sisters. And when we were apes, James was my mother and I was his son. And Carol was my grandfather when we were snakes or previous humans. And now we are not, right? We're different relationships now, but in previous lives, we've been each other's mother, father, brother, sister, or some other relative. And this is one of the reasons why we need to practice universal love of all beings, because we're all family, the entire world, whether it's a snake, a hippo, a whale, a fish, a bird, a human, we are all family 100%. While we're here on this independent practice, this independent journey, we are all interconnected. And the decisions that I make affect me, but they also affect other people as well and other beings, other animals and other beings. So if I make good, wholesome decisions, it will affect other beings in good ways. And that's why I receive much better experience in this life. Where if I create unwholesome decisions and I put harm out into the world, then that's what comes back to me. And this is how the natural law of gamma works. So yes, any beings that are in existence today have previously been your relatives. And if you really get in touch with this, it becomes easier and easier and easier for you to have love, kindness, compassion, respect, generosity, all of these good, wholesome mental qualities that you need in order to attain this enlightened mind, it becomes much easier for you to do that with all beings when you look at everyone as literally your family member. doesn't matter who they are, rich, poor, in the middle, homeless, sick, ill, deformed, amputated, whatever they are, they are your relatives. It also becomes easier to let go of judgment of others because it's your mother, it's your father, it's your brother, it's your sister. So every single being on the face of this earth has previously been a relative of yours at some point in previous lives. Speaking of close relationships, Robert asks, how is it that I find more patience with co-workers and strangers than at home? It's not always the case, but this is what comes to mind when I think of universal love for all beings. Yeah, here's the reason why, Robert. You're going to learn in chapter four that we cause all of our discontentedness through craving, desire, attachment, a mental longing with a strong eagerness. Okay, this mental longing of wanting things to be a certain way. This is craving, desire, attachment. This is also expectations, obligations, wants, things, wanting things a certain way. Strangers in the street, coworkers, you have very little expectations, very little obligations, i.e. you have very little attachment. You have very little mental longing with a strong eagerness with these other people who are just kind of friends and associates. And therefore, you find it much easier to have relationships with them. Your relationships are better with them because you don't have this craving, desire, attachment, 
expectations, wants, obligations. You can just let it go and flow. But with people at home, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your children, maybe your life partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your housemates, people who you're around a lot, the mind has deep, deep, deep craving, desire, attachment, expectations, wants. And because of this, you're causing the mind to be discontent. And that's why you find it more difficult in your home life and you struggle in those relationships because you haven't learned how to eliminate your craving, desire, attachment. You haven't learned how to eliminate that in the mind yet and have a true loving relationship without these expectations. When you let go of all of this wanting, all of this expectations and and wanting these relationships to be a certain way, then you will see that your mind won't be discontent because you can just be satisfied with what is. But because the mind wants things to be a certain way, that's what's causing the mind to be discontent in these relationships at home. So you'll just need to learn and learn in this program, learn through the resources that I'm sharing, train the mind in meditation, train the mind in daily life, to practice these teachings. And that's why you'll see the relationships both personally and professionally improve because you'll start eliminating what we call craving anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality. But this is all going to be gradual progress as the mind gradually moves in this direction. We have a question from Joy. She asks, if I treat my dogs for fleas, are there issues? (laughs) Well, The more love and compassion that you can show to all beings, it's going to translate into you practicing more that way, right? However you choose to eradicate the fleas from your dog is your choice. You have to choose how to do that. And there's various ways of doing that in the world. So you have to decide, you know, how you're going to choose to do this. There's lots of different ways. The more you research this, you may be able to find some ways to do this without actually killing the fleas. I haven't actually approached that one on my own because I no longer own any animals, but we certainly have ants and different things like that here in the house. And we had to discover ways to eradicate the ants. So you have to figure out what's the best way for you to do that. And at the same time, you have to understand gamma. While you would like to try to find a way to eradicate these fleas without killing them, and if you can do that, that would be the best approach. And that's going to take a little bit more time and effort for you to figure out how to do that. But at the end of the day, with something like a flea, you have to understand that this is an insect that is causing harm to your dog. It's causing harm. It's eating the dead skin and the skin of your animal and it's causing harm through various sores and things like this. It may be causing harm to your family if the fleas are eating your family's skin and your family's legs as well. So if a being is causing harm, then harm is going to come back to it. So if you had to say, 
say you have fleas in your house. Like when we were a kid, we had to set off these bombs. We used to call them flea bombs. We would have to leave for many hours in order to kill all these fleas in the house. Well, that is a killing. And while we would choose not to do that killing and we would like to eradicate these fleas without killing them in a certain situation, you may need to actually revert to something like that in order to eliminate this harm that the fleas are doing to your animal or to your family. We had termites here on the outside of our house for a period of time a couple years ago. And we found a company that has kind of like an herbal concoction that they use to kind of rid the house of the termites. And it was just starting to appear on the outside of our house. So they went around and kind of drilled holes around the house and they put these herbal concoctions in certain places of the house that would kind of make it undesirable for the termites to be here and they would move on. And over the course of a year, they would come back every couple of weeks and kind of refresh those herbs so that the termites would move on. So it took us a little bit of time to find that. And here in a Buddhist country, we have more access, I think, to those kind of things than maybe other places. So if I was you, I would take some time to see if there's some natural ways that you can eradicate the fleas without killing them. But at the end of the day, if you go through lots of different options and you aren't seeing some effect, then you have to realize that this natural law of gamma that, yeah, like these fleas are causing harm. We need to, you know, eradicate them because it wouldn't be showing your dog loving kindness and compassion to just allow these fleas to eat them up or eat her up, right? That wouldn't be universal love for all beings for your dog if you just allow that to happen. So because fleas being reborn into that existence, they're going to be constantly killed all the time and need to be reborn to get to enlightenment anyway. So I would say if you need to kill them, go ahead. But, you know, really try to find a way that you could maybe eradicate them without killing. Joy says, thank you. This makes sense. So I have a question, David. T today we've talked about various spiritual leaders that have existed throughout history and how they've all offered something to help equip the world to liberate their minds. But all of their teachings are subject to impermanence. And it seems that what's happened is, along with the teachings being subject to impermanence, the human mind has deteriorated along with that. Mm -hmm. um, so in today's world, things are very different because we've had much more advanced technology. Our ability to actually record things is so much greater. We can do it digitally. But at the same time, I think our propensity to get lost, get addicted, get stuck or do harm is just growing as well. So I'm interested to know how you see both the problem and the solution evolving with our development. So as Max is explaining, you know, 2,500 years ago, Gautama Buddha came, he lived one life, he taught for 45 years, he shared the teachings. During his lifetime, many, many, many people got enlightened. And then for 500 years after his lifetime, people continued to get enlightened from his teachings because they were very much intact and very pure, not very much affected by impermanence. 
Well, Gautama Buddha described these five 500-year cycles that his teachings would go through. In the first 500 years, he said lots and lots of people after his death would continue to get enlightened. And then he said the next 500 years, people would be really good in meditation, but there would be less and less people getting enlightenment. Then the third 500 years, people would be really good at scholarly pursuits and actually doing scholarly things. And this is where we see a proliferation of lots of various traditions and sects of Buddhism. This is where things started really splitting off because people became very scholarly, writing about his teachings a lot. Then the fourth cycle, he said people would be really good at giving and generosity, kind of contributing resources and money for the sharing of his teachings. And if you look in Thailand, this is the time period where a lot of temples were being built in Thailand. So lots of people were giving money. And then he said the last 500 years, which is what we just ended a couple of years ago, he said that the monks and householders, essentially the ordained practitioners and household practitioners would be arguing and fighting over what his true teachings actually were. That during that 500-year period, people would be disagreeing and arguing about what did he actually even teach because impermanence would have affected his teachings so massively. So he predicted this slow degradation of his teachings based on impermanence, based on things constantly changing. And then he talked about what was going to happen next after that. Well, even though the Buddha predicted this and he explained this was going to happen, the same thing has happened with Hinduism. The same thing has happened with Christian teachings, Judaism, and all the other teachings, Muslim teachings and everything. There was an original teacher who came, showed up and taught, and then after that person's death, the teaching slowly degraded with less and less and less people understanding and actually practicing those teachings. And that's the reason why we see the world in such a condition that it is today. Because as the condition of the human mind across humanity has dissolved and has been degraded and has become polluted, all of our collective decision-making, our individual and collective decision-making has also been problematic. We've made horrible and horrible and more and more horrible decisions because we were unaware of all of these various teachings. And that's why we see so many problems in the world, whether it's murders or drug abuse or suicide or orphans or pollution to the environment, human trafficking. You know, we could keep on going down the line of all the problems that we see around the world, including corrupt politics. Well, all of this problems in the world is based on humans' decisions. It's our own human decisions that we're making in the world. By making certain decisions and causing harm, then harm is being returned to us in this world. So what Gautama Buddha's teachings are essentially doing when you study his pure teachings, as I'm going to share with you in this program, is it's equipping you through his realizations through these natural laws of existence to independently discover the truth for yourself. And when you discover that truth, that wisdom that more and more and more and more people in the world will have, 
as a humanity, as more and more people learn these teachings and gain this wisdom, we will make better and better and better choices, moving humanity to a better and better condition. Jesus Christ talked about creating heaven on earth, right? Creating heaven on earth. Well, what I shared in a previous talk is it is these teachings that is going to create heaven on earth. But the way that that happens is through all of us learning these teachings, learning this wisdom, seeing the truth for ourselves, and as a humanity, making better and better and better decisions so that we aren't causing harm in the world. So by all of us practicing universal love of all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person, which is going to come through in these teachings of Gautama Buddha, you will observe how your life is going to become better and better. The people around you, their life is going to become better and better. And as this spreads to more and more people in the world, then all of humanity will become better and better and better. But just like each human mind needs to gradually progress towards enlightenment in this better life, this better way of life, all of humanity needs to progress gradually as well. And I would say that this is what all these teachings have been doing. Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, Muslim teachings, and so forth, they've been gradually moving humanity to a better and better place. But the challenge is, is that we don't have massive amounts of people that are really focused on learning and practicing these teachings. So one of the things that I'm doing is putting these teachings in a way of preserving them through book, through audiobook, through videos, through podcasts, through all the various resources that I share. I'm putting them in a way that can be shared for the rest of my life as well as well into the future so that more and more of humanity can learn these teachings through these resources in a way that's been preserved and then more and more and more people can be learning and practicing these teachings. And this is why I talked in a previous talk, at some point I will start moving towards getting access to mass media in all the various countries and all the various continents so that more and more people can become aware that you don't have to live with discontentedness. You don't have to live with anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, boredom, loneliness, all of these different things that the mind can actually be improved through training the mind. So it's just a matter of getting enough of these teachings laid down in a way that people can access them freely and openly, and then getting into the mass media so that more and more people can be aware that these discontent feelings that exist in the mind, you don't need to live with them. You can actually eradicate them through learning and practicing these teachings. But that's all going to take time. I'd just like to add from my own perspective that there have been little subtle differences in the way you teach, David, that really helped me. And this adds to my story from earlier. So for example, understanding what attachment actually is. Like, can we actually define that as a, as a mental longing with strong eagerness? And that is a fundamentally different take on attachment to say some other uh, teachings that might talk about good attachments and this kind of thing. Whereas there's actually no such thing 
as a good attachment. So I know that we're going to get onto all of this, but I just wanted to also iterate that I've personally found that practicing with this content, these teachings has been what's most beneficial for me. And I feel that what you've got here is a lot more powerful than the other things that I've found online in apps, um, other podcasts and that sort of thing. So yeah, I just wanted to add some clarification as to why I think this is the place to be in terms of uh, liberating the mind. Yeah, what you guys are going to notice is the way this book, and i.e. this group learning program is structured, is we kind of slowly ramp up to the teachings, right? So this week, we're talking about universal teachings, we're talking about these other traditions, and kind of creating this bridge and saying, yeah, if you've learned these other traditions, you can easily bridge over into Gautama Buddhist teachings. Next week, we're going to be talking about why even study Gautama Buddhist teachings? You know, what is it about Gautama Buddhist teachings? Why? And then the third week, we're going to be studying what is Nibbana or what is enlightenment and really making sure you understand the goal. Because if you're going to go to a certain place, you need to understand what is the goal. Because the more clearly you understand the goal, the more likely you will be able to get there. So if you know where the city is, what to experience when you get there, what are the roads to get there and all these different things, you're going to be more readily able to progress and actually get to that city or that town. So same thing with enlightenment. So the first three weeks of this program, we're kind of slowly kind of moving till we get to that chapter four and chapter five, where the teachings really start to come through. And then in chapter six, we kind of take it a little break again. There's kind of like a lighter topic there. But then chapter seven and chapter eight and chapter nine and chapter 10, chapter 11, we really jump back into it again in chapter 12. So what you're going to notice is some weeks there's just a little bit of content. We're kind of moving the mind and helping you understand just a little bit of things. And then other chapters, they're going to be much more deep. But what I've done throughout the book is rather than just have like deep, 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 all the way through the book is I've kind of structured the book so that it kind of ramps up these first couple of chapters to get into these really deep teachings. And then we kind of pull off the throttle a little bit with chapter six, and then we get back into it again with chapter seven, eight, nine, and just keep on moving. So each one of these sessions, just keep coming, keep learning, keep meditating, keep progressing. Some weeks they're going to be kind of lighter topics and we're just kind of slowly ease through these topics. And other times we're going to be studying much deeper and rich topics that are going to really kind of help you to dive into these teachings and sink your teeth in in ways that you maybe haven't heard taught before. But it's just going to take us time to work through this book in a gradual progression. We have a question from Manal. She asks, I find myself in deep connection with everything around me when I'm in the woods, amongst trees, streams, air, and pure nature. I'm not discontent outside of these visits to the forest, but I find myself feeling more aligned and self-aware in the forest. Should I take this as a cue in any shape or form, or is it just my mind creating the sensory? No, this is actually quite a common indication that the mind is waking up. As you learn and practice these teachings more and more, as the mind awakens, you will start noticing a deeper connection with nature, with animals, 
with other human beings, you will notice this in the mind. So the fact that you are noticing this, Manal, and I know you've been studying for several weeks here, this is an indication that the mind is actually awakening. Because what happens in the unenlightened mind is we tend to put walls around ourself and we see ourselves very much separate from other people. And this is the second poison, the hatred or anger or ill will, the hostility. When the mind is displeased, we push things away and we create walls around us. But as the mind gradually, slowly awakens, we remove those walls and we don't create these walls between us and other people. This is one of the reasons why our personal and professional relationships improve. And what you'll notice is you'll notice this deeper connection to nature, to animals, to other humans. I remember about a year and a half ago, I was coming out of my wife's shop in Chiang Mai City. And as I did, there was this enormous rat that ran like right in front of me and it was dark at night and it was so scared and it was trying to run so fast I could hear its claws scraping on the street and I mean it was it was like two feet in front of me I mean one more step I probably would have stepped right on top of it I mean it was as huge as probably like a beaver or something like that at least that's what my mind remembers I remember just stopping and just be like oh poor little rat he's having trouble running like his feet are scraping on the on the blacktop I hope he gets to where he needs to go. I wonder if he's hungry, right? And this is like how the mind starts to think when it becomes to the point where you love all beings. You have universal love for all beings. You start relating to all of these animals and nature and people completely different. This is how, as the mind awakens, it starts interacting with beings around you in a very different way than before. And it might feel odd. It might feel strange. You might even notice like sensory changes. You might notice like the colors in, the, in nature are much more vivid. You might notice the sounds almost sound like surround sound. You might notice this even just in your home or going outside or when you hear it raining you might notice these sensory changes with the eyes, the ears. You might notice as you taste food, the taste is much more profound. You might notice the touch. And what this is, is as the mind awakens and starts performing more optimally, as you intake things in the senses, the mind processes it in a more optimal way. It's kind of going from like SD you know, standard definition television to like 4K. And when your mind is awakened, it's like everything's 4K, everything's 3D. All the colors and sounds and smells and tastes are so vivid now. This is an indication that the mind is awakening and progressing on this path. Thank you, David. We have one more question from Robert. He asks, how can we support you? Oh, uh, I mean, for me, I really enjoy knowing that students are coming to class and gaining benefit. And even if you can't come to class, you're just learning on your own and progressing on the path. So I don't have any expectations of students. I'm here to provide benefit and provide guidance as I can do that.
But yeah, I mean, it does take money to sustain my life. So there are students who set up donations. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash support Buddha, you can set up a monthly donation, either five, 15, 25, and there's others, you know, 50, 100 different amounts. And if you would like to set up a regular donation, that would be very kind of you. Even just a little bit of money goes a long way for me to be able to, you know, pay for things like Zoom and the computer equipment and all the supplies and things that I need to actually conduct this program. So you could set it up through Patreon or you could use PayPal, which is paypal.me forward slash support Buddha 999. And I really appreciate that you're thinking that way, Robert, because I have stopped doing a lot of the things that I used to do in the past as a career and making money and things like that. And I focus pretty much all my time in sharing these teachings. And for a class like this, you know, I spend many, many, many hours before class, during class and after class to share this content with you guys and to offer the teachings through the Facebook group and the private guidance that I offer in the different ways that people will contact me. So if you can support me and offer a donation, that would be wonderful and it would be really greatly appreciated with lots and lots of gratitude. But I wouldn't want anybody to feel they're expected or have to do that. Or I wouldn't want that to stand in the way of anybody learning and practicing these teachings. Because from what I've done is I've come off of you know, major, major income that I used to have and brought my life down to very minimal, minimal existence. You know, the clothes I wear, shirt and pants cost $10. You know, the food that I eat on a given day costs about five or $10. I live a very basic, simple life. I don't go out and do things. I don't do anything other than really share these teachings online and in person and just look for ways to benefit more and more people. But there is kind of a component to this that donations do really help me. So I appreciate you thinking about that. And for anybody who would be interested to do that, if you're on the podcast or any of the social media platforms, you should see a place where you can click to donate money to help support this program and all the expenses that I have as part of offering this program. So thank you for anyone who has previously made donations or anybody who's planning to make donations now or any in the future because they really, really do help for me to be able to do the things that I do. Thank you, David. We have no more questions at this time. Okay, well, I will just end class by once again thanking you all for joining. Thank you for choosing to dedicate time and effort to learning Gautama Buddha's teachings. It's absolutely the best thing you'll ever do for yourself and those close to you and all of humanity. I share this with people all the time because as you learn and practice these teachings, your life is going to get better and better. The people around you, their life is going to get better and better because you're not causing harm in the world. And humanity is going to get better and better. We have an opportunity here for you to learn and practice these teachings. You're welcome to bring friends and family, anybody you like, into the program. And we will just slowly, gradually, each week, 
make our way through this book and through this content where you can gradually learn to awaken the mind to this enlightened mental state. You've got my energy, my commitment, my attention, my dedication to sharing these teachings. If you meet even half or 10% of the dedication that I have, if you can just match that by like 10% or 50%, you're going to be doing yourself a very, very good service to really dive into these teachings. So between now and Wednesday, if you haven't read this first chapter yet, read the preface and the first chapter. You can listen to some of the podcasts and videos if you want from the previous trainings that I've done. They're linked into the book at the end of each chapter. And on Wednesday at nine o'clock Thai time, I'm gonna be sharing breathing mindfulness meditation with you and helping you to start to develop this meditation practice of breathing mindfulness meditation, which is really the foundation and the core teaching that's going to train the mind towards this enlightened mental state. Without meditation, you wouldn't be able to improve the condition of the mind. But it's not only meditation by itself. So that's why you need to learn it and practice it. But there's a lot of other things that go with it. But the beauty in meditation is you can see the truth for yourself that by you learning and practicing it, you will see the condition of the mind improve. You will see it for yourself. It won't be based on belief. It won't be based on rites or rituals or ceremonies or worship. But by you learning and practicing the meditation that I share with you on Wednesday, doing that regularly over time, you'll see the condition of the mind gradually improve. So thank you for joining. I'll see you on Wednesday at 9 o'clock Thai time. And if I don't see you then, definitely on Sunday at 9 o'clock, if you can make it there, I'll see you then. And if for some reason you ever miss a class, just follow up with the podcast and you'll get all the content there. So have a very wonderful rest of your day wherever you are. I hope that you always look for ways to have universal love for all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. If you use this as your guiding light in life, you will always be walking towards the light. So thank you very much. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.